You're locked in the press box. From Wikipedia, um, the important part of the totem pole is either the very bottom or whichever part of the totem pole is at eye level. What do you want to be? Danny, you want to be the bottom or eye level? No, Danny's at the, all the way at the top. Yeah, I'm, I'm the he's, little he's statue the worst, at the according top. According to Sploosh. So Danny's at the very top that nobody can see because the totem pole is 20 feet tall. Nah, that's okay. So you see from afar. If I suck him in the middle? Well, well, if you're the worst, you're at the top. Based on our rankings, you're in the middle. Yeah. I'm in the middle. Yeah. Eye level. I think I take up the bottom and eye level, and then you're like 10 feet and up. And then I'm like 20. Danny's 15 to 20 feet. Yeah. I'm I'm at the I'm so high that you gotta observe from afar, <laughs> observe the greatness from afar. You gotta take in the show from a macro view exactly to understand Danny and his significance. Uh, so Sploosh's totem pole, uh, we figured out how it breaks down here. In the meantime, the Raiders hired JoJo Wooden to be the director of player personnel. He was the director of player personnel for the Chargers for all of Tom Telesco's years as general manager with the Chargers. He became the interim GM when Telesco got fired after that 63-21 to loss to the Raiders. <laughs> Are the Raiders now Chargers East? Yeah, Chargers East. Well, do we start calling them I that? I mean, like I'm not surprised. Like you usually say you usually want your own guys, you want your people you feel comfortable with, people you've worked with. So this doesn't surprise me at all that he's bringing in people from the charge organization uh, as much as they underachieved. Um, this doesn't surprise me at all. Um, you know, he has Champ Kelly there uh, working with him, probably teaching him the roster uh, so he knows who's on the team. Um, but this is does this really surprise him? I mean, he's probably buddies with this guy. and I assume so. They got I mean, hired. They started the same yeah. year as GM and then uh, – Interim GM yeah. with the Chargers, so I, I, I think mean, I, it's a little bit funny just because the Chargers weren't very good, and you now have their GM and the guy who was became the interim GM, which in my mind means it's the GM and the guy who was second in command to all the personnel sure. decisions that they made. Sure. So they weren't good for eleven years. The, you probably don't want both of those guys making decisions here, but the Raiders might have that. Is Chargers East worse than Patriots West? Oh, I just didn't like Patriots West. I mean, at least Patriots West, well, those at least guys they came with rings. They Super came with Bowls. rings. They won Super Bowls. How much but, credit they deserve, yeah, we'll uh, see. But yeah. they, they were there. Maybe I just didn't Super like the Bowls. quotes. They weren't very good. <laughs> they weren't very good. They weren't very good. No, based on success, Patriots West would have been better, based yeah. on past success, but... I didn't. If they add, if they sign Austin Eckler this offseason, I'm calling them oh, Chargers yeah. East. Oh yeah. Oh, they're Chargers East. Uh, Austin Eckler, and they bring in that Easton Stick guy to be a backup quarterback. Oh, this is Chargers East. What? They'd have a better chance signing Austin Eckler than Easton Stick. I think. I don't even think Stick is a free agent. Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. He's probably and his rookie deal. There is zero reason for the Raiders to be interested in Easton Stick. They have well, their own they Easton have, Stick. They have it's, their own it's Aiden, Aiden O'Connell. They have yeah. their own backup. So there's zero reason for them to go sign somebody worse than Aiden O'Connell. Right. That'd be that'd be dumb. Uh, just go with Aiden O'Connell and somebody you draft. You bring Brian like Hoyer back to be the three? Oh, my God. Who's going to be your three? If Brian Hoyer's on this team, Jesus. Someone's got to be the three. Okay. Uh, Sam Hartman? <laughs> Let Mayava go pro. I don't care. Not Brian Hoyer. What good did that do? 
Their offense was a train wreck, so he didn't help them by any means whatsoever. Like, there was no, oh, Hoyer's really helping out the quarterback room. The quarterbacks were a disaster last year. It's because he didn't get on the field to show what he could he do. He did. They played yeah, him they against played him. The, the Bears or whoever, and he was a train wreck. Yeah, it was one game. That One ba- too many. Hey, the Bears are tough, all right? At, at what? Tyson Bajan's a tough guy. What are they tough at? Unbelievable. Things. If oh, Brian Hoyer's back around, unreal. Um, here's something interesting, though, that happened. The Rams hired a game management coordinator, John Stryker. He was with Tennessee for the last six seasons. And Sean McVay got asked about hiring a game management coordinator. And McVay joked, saying he's going to help me to, quote, not use my timeouts in the second half until I need to. He also said about Stryker, there's an innate understanding of the rules and how to be able to use those to your advantage. Clock management, some of the situational things that do end up coming up. So McVeigh, who has been uh, notorious for blowing through timeouts early, not having the greatest right. clock management despite how good of a coach he's been, they've hired somebody, and he's basically saying this guy's going to help me with not only clock but situational management, which would so be is that fourth down So Joe stuff. Philbin of the Raiders? The Raiders have a game management coach. Same exact title, Matt Sheldon. Um, the only problem is that Matt Sheldon was on the staff last year as a game management coach. And they weren't very good at that. And they were terrible, absolutely terrible in these scenarios, which leads me to one of two options. Either Matt Sheldon's not very good at his job for timeout management, fourth down decisions, challenge decisions, or Antonio Pierce has never met Matt Sheldon and does not care what he has to say. (laughs) Well, as the interim, I could see that that being possible. He never met him? That he never met him. I don't know who he met as the interim. (laughs) Max Crosby, and that was it. Yeah, Max Crosby. (laughs) The guy with the cigars. Right. So maybe now he should know who he is, given he's the full-time guy and this is his full-time staff. So he kept Matt Sheldon. They announced their staff uh, in the last week or whatever it was, and Matt Sheldon, game management coach, was on there. And the Rams just hired a guy. The head coach is saying, i got to listen to this guy for timeouts and other situational uh, that we can take advantage of, uh, which, again, I think every team in the league should have. Every, if the guy's competent. Every team in the league yeah. should have a guy who can talk to the head coach on the headset during the About game. timeouts, challenges, whose everything. Whose sole job is understanding when's the best time to call a timeout, when's the best, what's our fourth down analytic decisions, like should we be going forward on fourth and three or fourth and two or punting on fourth and six, whatever those are, that he should be in the year with the head coach with that. And whatever other situational stuff that you can bring up, challenges, all of that, there should be one guy who can talk to the coach and say, this is what we recommend doing. The coach can ignore him, right? It could sure. be it could be fourth and four, and the analytics are like, well, we should probably punt here, and the coach should say, I think we can get this. Let's go for it, or vice versa. That's fine if the coach ignores him, but there should be a guy that is saying, hey, this is what – the ideal Well, more and more with analytics, you think there are those people. Every team should have that guy, and that guy should have in-game access to talk to the coach. I don't know if that's the case with Matt Sheldon. I don't even know if that's going to be the case with John Stryker with the Rams, but every team should have one because that is that is an area that does not require, like suggesting, hey, these are this fourth down scenario, we should go for it. You don't, like, you can just have a guy who focuses just on that 
and then tells the coach what the ideal scenario is. Mm -hmm. he, he doesn't have to worry about who's healthy on the offensive line or like how the momentum in the game or whatever other crap coaches think is important. He's just can just tell you this is when you should call your timeouts. You can be pre-planned for all of this. You don't have to on the fly adjust because the defense is now running cover three. Pre-plan for all of this. Jump in and tell the coach this is what we think we sh you should do. Well, Antonio really needs that guy as a first-year head coach. Especially the don't challenge a play that's not right, challenged. Right. Hey, Antonio, you can't challenge. You can't this challenge one. us. They're going to take your. They're going to give you your flag back, and you're going to lose a timeout. Right. Absolutely. Right. Hey, Antonio, uh, don't call a timeout because Jack Jones lost his mouthpiece. Just take him out for one play and then put him <laughs> back in. We'll be fine with one play without Jack Jones. Like, absolutely should have this guy in the air. And maybe Matt Sheldon does that this year. And maybe that's like the whole Marvin Lewis is going to be around and Joe Philbin, like we got former head coaches. That's fine and all, but as far as the in-game stuff, I want the Matt Sheldon guy in the air saying this is what you should be doing. If Matt Sheldon knows what he's doing because right. he was there last year and they weren't very good at it. Yeah, we don't know. And again, maybe Antonio Pierce just said, ah, I don't know who that guy right. is. Who, who You want to have a meeting with me? Uh, I got to go sit. I got to get the cigars lined up. I got to get the mini hoop set up. He's like, game timeouts. I don't care about that. Right, so maybe, but we'll see what Matt Sheldon actually does here. Um, also, big news. On the staff, coming it's back do, for another news, year. Deducer. Deuce Gruden. Deducer's back. No, another year as a strength and conditioning coach yeah. for the Raiders. This guy's going to be around forever. Deducer must do a great job. He must do a great job with strength and conditioning. I, I see him stretching guys out. I see him uh, before the game stretching guys out, going and patting them on the back. Oh, oh team yeah. player. Yeah, oh, Deucer's a huge team player. When is he going to be moved ahead of conditioning and strength? That's a big jump at the NFL level, so I'm not so sure about that. That's a huge jump. When he can outbench the actual strength and conditioning coach. Oh, I think he can. I'm you sure he so? can already. I, I don't know who the strength Deucer and conditioning competes. coach. I know he does. Maybe the strength and conditioning coach does too. He also might be like sixty-eight years old, and yeah, that's I don't, I don't know I don't who know. it is. I don't know who it is. I don't know who it is. But the do, the deuce, uh, he he can get it done in the weight room. I would like that to be how they decide who's the head strength and conditioning coach. Just have a, a lift lift beginning contest? of the year. Yeah, it's just lift who can bench the most. Yeah, or like at the combine, like what's yeah. it two twenty-five? I think that's right. Two twenty-five, and you can bench who, who can bench the most on two twenty-five. <laughs> just put them through your own combine. <laughs> That'd be awesome. It would be fun. Uh, but Deuce Gruden is still around. I will say this about Deuce Gruden, Ned. He's a Raider. Oh, to last this long? He's a Raider more than maybe everybody yeah. else on the staff and yeah. team. Like, if we were listing off who is a Raider, Pierce and Crosby are at the top of that list. The Deucer might come in next. Gruden might be number three. Especially if they're letting Jacobs walk. Yeah, Gr Deuce Gruden might be number three. Yeah. He's a Raider. I, I'd go as far as say he's more of a Raider than Mark Davis might be. Oh, that's a tough one. Yeah. He's competing in weightlifting competitions in the offseason? Yes. That guy's a Raider. Are you kidding me? <laughs> guy's the biggest Raider I've seen. So Deuce Gruden, absolutely a Raider. All right, coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, it's Bischoff's Briefs. It's Bischoff's Briefs, brought to you by Paul Law. It's not about the injury. It's about the recovery. Bischoff's Briefs. I wanted you to see these player evaluations that you asked me to do. Bischoff's Briefs. I asked you to do three. Yeah. Bischoff's Briefs. To evaluate three players. Yeah. How many did you do? Bischoff's Briefs. 47. Okay. Actually, 51. I don't know why I lied just then. 
Before Bischoff's briefs, on the text line, Emmanuel asked for the word of the day. You got it, Emmanuel. It's Frontier. We're giving away $2,024 every day here at Lotus, and all you got to do to enter to win is send us a text message with the code word. Today's word is Frontier. F-R-O-N-T-I-E-R. Good luck, Emmanuel. So text Frontier to 702-364-1100, and you are entered to win $2,024. There will be another word tomorrow and every day. We're doing this for 29 total days all the way, uh, I believe, to the end of March is the final day that we are doing this. Um, our friend Heidi Fang from the Review Journal texted texted in, A.J. Nibel is the strength and conditioning coach for the Raiders. A.J. Nibel. Can looking, he out-bench Deuce? I'm looking at a picture of him. I think the Deucers got this guy. Got him? All right, Deuce Groot. The head strength. If, if it was my team, Deuce would have a chance to earn the head position of <laughs> yes, strength and conditioning exactly. coach. Based on, based on looking at his picture, what makes you think the Deucers got him? Is there... Um, is he an older gentleman? Is nah, he show Tyler. Just what not do you think? muscular? Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't have the neck muscles. Yeah. Oh, uh, the whole the yeah. neck and the whatever that is on your shoulders right there. I know there's a word for it that I don't know, but he doesn't have those. Deuce Gruden is shoulders are kind of slight as they go down. Yeah, uh, I think Deuce uh, has got him too. Deuce I don't Gruden. know if we should be saying this guy's going to come in here and start bench pressing us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we should be talking about a strength and conditioning coach of an NFL team like this. Ah, Deuce has got our back. <laughs> yeah, Deuce the Deucer will be we're here on and Deuce's say, don't team. touch those guys. That's right. All right. Bishop's briefs today. A um, couple days ago, this is before UNLV played and beat Colorado State, uh, got a question on Twitter from Garn. Garn said, I know unlikely, but if the Rebels win next five, they won one, so now next four, I think they are an at-large probably win regular season title, if not second. I think committee forgives bad early losses and the Air Force home loss. Now, quick note on the Mountain West standings. If UNLV wins out, they're 13-5. and five. Right now, Utah State has one loss, and Utah State plays three the three bad teams, Wyoming, San Jose State, and Yeah, they uh, have an easy schedule Fresno. to end it. Yeah. They do end with New Mexico, Mexico but, but it's at home. even if they lose that one, just that one, and UNLV wins out. Utah it's State wins the conference because they won the single game right. against UNLV. So for UNLV to win the conference, not only do they have to win out, but Utah State has to lose twice, which could happen, but probably, probably won't happen. So UNLV's likely best-case scenario would be the two-seed in the Mountain West tournament uh, if they were to win out. Now, NCAA tournament at-large situation here. Uh, Bart Torvik lets you... Go in and input results for future games. Actually, you can go change results too, but let you input results for future games and gives you a projected NCAA tournament field. Now, obviously, it's not exactly what the selection committee would do, but it gives you a good idea as to where teams would stack up. So right now, UNLV, four games left in the regular season. Bart Torvik has UNLV as the 14th team out of the NCAA tournament. If UNLV beats Wyoming tonight, they move up to the 13th team out. So not much of a jump there. Um, if they beat Wyoming and then beat San Jose State, they move up to the 12th team out. So still not a big jump. You beat Wyoming and San Jose State, you're not really making up much ground. But if they beat San Diego State after winning those other two, they jump up to the 8th team out. No, you're getting close. And then if they go on the road and beat Nevada and f win out the regular season, UNLV would now be the third team out of the NCAA tournament by Bart Torvik's projections. Now, one key note in this, the way this works is I'm only projecting the UNLV games the rest of the way. None of the other games that other teams play right, right. aren't factored into this. So 
teams could play their way out or in, right? So that would matter. But in this in this theory, if they win four straight here to finish the year, they would be on the bubble. They would be in the conversation. Now, they would still have the Mountain West Tournament to play, which could be a good or a bad thing for UNLV, sure. right? You could have a terrible loss or you could have a couple of good wins. But going in, third team out in the Mountain West Tournament, they're almost certainly going to get to play games against top 50 teams, right, until they lose. Um, I did, just for the sake of this, a win over Boise State in the Mountain West in tournament. The tournament. They jumped to the first team out if they beat Boise State. And then I had them beating Nevada in a semifinal. They jumped to the f- last team in if they beat Boise State and Nevada. Now, because we're talking about an at-large bid, I then had them losing the Mountain West title game to San Diego State, and they fall back out of the NCAA tournament picture. Because obviously if they win that game, they're in as the champion. Right, as the automatic qualifier. So the point here is that if UNLV wins out in the regular season, they might actually be on the bubble for the NCAA tournament. And if they pick up two quality wins in the Mountain West tournament combined with winning out, they're definitely going to be on the bubble. Because if they win out from here, San Diego State at home will probably be a quad one win. Right, San Diego State's got to stay where they are, but that's probably still a quad one win. Nevada on the road, quad one win. They will add two quad one wins. And then in the tournament, depends on who they play, they could pick up another quad one win or two more. They might have seven quad one wins if they were to win out until the Mountain West title game. Their net and Ken Palm would probably be in the 60s, maybe breaking into the 50s, which isn't great. But teams have made it before as an at-large with a Ken Palm or net in the 50s, right? You're not out of the picture there. But they would have a lot of quad one wins for a bubble team. And it would come down to how much does the selection committee care about a 14-point loss to Southern, and a 32-point loss to Air Force, and one more quad four loss to Loyola Marymount. Right. And they lost to Richmond by, I think, 17. Richmond's not terrible, but losing to them by 17 is quite a big margin basically if UNLV wins out the top of their resume is NCAA tournament worthy they will have two wins over New Mexico a win over Creighton a win over Colorado State in this scenario they will have gotten San Diego State they will have gotten Nevada right they will have beaten a lot of teams that are going to be in the tournament and Creighton and San Diego State teams they're going to be four seeds or better or something like that in the, the top, that top of that resume is spectacular. The problem would be the bottom of the resume is awful. Is as bad as you're going to find for a bubble team. Right. I mean, bubble teams don't. I mean, you can lose to Air Force, not by 32. You can't lose by 32. Mississippi State's probably going to be in in the NCAA tournament this year. They lost to Southern this year. Right. I think it was by two points, not 14. Right? You can lose to bad teams. New Mexico's probably going to get in with a loss to Air Force, but they lost by one. That's going to be the real question. If Again, this is all an if, if UNLV does win these games. But at the end of the day, it'd be what does the committee think about the bottom of UNLV's resume right. and how much do they get punished for a 32-point loss to right. Air Force, a 14-point loss to Southern, plus one more quad four loss. Because I need to double-check that. I still think they're the only team in the country with at least three quad one wins and three quad, quad four, four losses. losses. I know App State had two and two but I think they're the only one with three and three. I honestly don't know what the committee would do 
I don't know if they would say, well, they're clearly playing better now, and that Air Force game Which is just that a, whole idea about the last 10. Yeah, and how, I, don't, I do not know what the committee would do. Because, again, top of the resume, spectacular. Bottom of the resume, oh, my God, this team is terrible. And I don't know what the committee would value. I do wonder. I know they say they don't do this. I brought it up yesterday. I do wonder how much the committee will look at the quantity of teams from the Mountain West and say, how many of these do we actually put in? Well, I think their conversations are different from what they say publicly. Yeah, I do, I do too. Like, I in this scenario, I don't think there's any way they're putting seven Mountain no. West teams in. No. So in this scenario, UNLV would have to kick out somebody Nevada, Nevada, or something like that, right? Like that's what would have to happen in this scenario. And we've talked about it. I don't even know if they're getting six in. Right. So if UNLV makes this run, and all right, let's say they've they've officially jumped Nevada in everybody's bracketology or something. Do they also have to jump New Mexico? Like, right. do they have to jump another one because only five? Like, I know again, the committee says they don't do this, but I don't believe them. But would they really put seven teams in? Probably not. Would they put six in? Maybe. And Maybe. Would UNLV sneak in as the sixth by winning the conference tournament or by being at large. But, but I, I just mean as an at large. Yeah. Obviously, if they win it, that changes right. the Everything. equation. But yeah, I I don't know what the committee would do in that scenario because UNLV would be a fascinating right uh, bubble team. Depending on the run that UNLV goes on, let let's say they lose to San Diego State because that is their hardest right. game of the regular season. And then in the Mountain West tournament, they go to the semifinals and lose. Could they have kicked out two teams? Like and, not and now we're getting West four and UNLV still doesn't go because they only made it to the semifinals. So here's the here's the key about the Mountain West tournament. Uh, those games for net rankings and the committee's purpose are counted as home games for UNLV. Oh, okay. So anybody losing to UNLV in the Mountain West tournament, that's going to be a quad two loss. Mm -hmm. Hell, it could be a quad one loss, depending on how many wins UNLV picks up here. But that's going to be a quad two loss and maybe a quad one loss. It's not going to hurt teams that bad to lose to UNLV in the Mountain West tournament. So it probably won't. Maybe if they beat Nevada into the regular season and then beat them again, in the Mountain West tournament, that could like knock Nevada out. But otherwise, I don't think maybe New Mexico. But otherwise, I don't think they'll knock. And I out. believe, much like with St. John's at MSG, the committee considers any Mountain West game a UNLV a home game. Yeah. Would it change if it was a different venue, or is it because like it's if it was in at Las the M like if it was at the MGM? I, yeah. Yes, I believe it would. Yes, it, they they make that determination before the year. But I'm pretty sure if they played this at T-Mobile, they would be neutral. Yes. Now be neutral. The Creighton and the um, Loyola Marymount games are considered home games by the committee, even though those were at the Dollar Loan Center. Oh, they are. Yeah, those are those count as home for the net, oh. so not neutral. Because I, because I don't Thomas and Max are all home games. Yes, yeah. yeah Anything UNLV plays at Thomas and Max is considered a home game, game, no matter what Mountain West tournament or regular right. season. But even the Dollar Loan Center games in the regular season count as home UNLV games. I think it would change if it was the conference tournament, though. Because then it is, I mean, it kind of screws UNLV because that is truly a neutral crowd and neutral Mountain setting. West Tournament? Yeah. Yes. Like UNLV's not getting that much of a home bump. I think the I floor mean, is different. They never win there. They never win in that damn tournament either. Right. So It's it kind of even. It should be a road like game. A, yes. Yeah. It should be a road game. It feels like an away game. <laughs> when, if they play San Diego State, it's a road game. If Yeah. The only advantage is DJ Thomas gets to sleep in his own bed, I guess, the night before. All right. Coming up next, Ash joins us from Salmon Ash. Ash from Salmon Ash Law joins the press box. 
In a crash? Call Sam and Ash or go to SamAndAshLaw.com. Hello, Ash. Hi, Ash. Hey, guys. That's quite the intro. Oh. <laughs> just, first Danny, time I'm hearing that. Danny's got a smile on his face now. He's happy when somebody uh, comments He's got on his, his coffee and someone commented work. on his opening, so he's happy. Oh, we've got a question. Ugh. Oh, I've got an in-office question for you. you gotta, you got to give Uh-oh. us uh, Danny's options over here. So, <laughs> okay. Like, hey, he could sue. Yeah, so last <laughs> week. Okay, first setup here. Danny, just about every morning, gets a coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. And Danny, hard worker, he comes in about an hour before the show starts. He puts his coffee in the fridge, goes to work. And then when it's about time to show starts, he comes over here, gets his coffee out of the fridge, and he's got his coffee during the show. Uh, last week, somebody in a different uh, studio, Steph from uh, one of our rock stations here, she decided while Danny was working hard before the show that she was going to clean out the fridge. And she threw Danny's full coffee <gasps> in the trash. No. Yeah. Uh, so Danny didn't have his coffee. The best thing was Danny didn't know. He couldn't figure out what had happened at first, and then he saw it in the trash and figured <laughs> it out. So that was great. He was an investigative or a reporter over here for a minute. But Steph has told Danny, and you have it in writing, right? It was an email. Yep. Has told Danny that she is going to replace his coffee. Now, she told him this last week on, I don't know, Wednesday? Wednesday or Thursday. Danny has still not received his replacement coffee. What are his options here? Well, I don't think Danny has a claim, but also everyone that has to put up with coffeeless Danny also has claims. <laughs> you know, they have bystander injuries for the lack of caffeine. Uh, <laughs> I, I would I would start to inquire as to when you can expect that coffee. Get a deadline, Danny. Oh, was there a de- was there any date in the email? There was not a date, but I did. I was told every day that I would have it the next day. Oh. So, You're accruing interest. I think that's how I, that works. You I know, think if I'm you've got a judgment. Coffees. Four coffees. Yeah. It's a hell of an interest yeah. plan you got over there. All right. Um, <laughs> so, Danny, you got you to gotta push hard for this deadline, and you might be saying, hey, this is more than one coffee at this point. So We'll send you a gift card, Danny. Make sure you get through it, because <laughs> that's right. what's right. Sam and Ash does what's right. That's we'll right. get you coffee. Take care of Danny. Um, Ash, I feel like I'm going to be asking you a lot of questions about the A's and the teachers that are trying to stop the A's from coming here because we talked before about they're trying to get the signatures to block or get it on the ballot so that people could vote yes or no on whether or not the A's get $380 million of public funding. There's also going to be a lawsuit to say this is unconstitutional. They needed a super majority and they just passed it with a simple majority. But now they say they're going to get an injunction or try to get an injunction. This is from Chris Daly from the Nevada State Education Association of Front Office Sports. He said, when it looks like there may be action coming at the stadium authority, we will likely at that point file our motion for an injunction. So can we just start at the base level? What does an injunction do in this scenario? Yeah, so an injunction's a, a critical step that you take in the legal process when you're worried that by the time your case gets to a trial or resolution, the harm will already have occurred and you won't be able to unwind it. So here that the funds will already have been allocated to the stadium 
as opposed to teachers and education, schools, et cetera, and it'll be too late to fix it should the schools win. I mean, I always say like, think of it if your kid or your friend was trying to sell your Mickey Mantle rookie card that was worth a fortune and just to go out and buy like the newest Grand Theft Auto, but it's not their card. So technically you have to sue that person for making a deal to sell your card, but you can't let them transfer it yeah. because then how do you know that next person's not going to sell it, destroy it or et cetera. So you've got to get an injunction where the court will make sure that the, the funds don't move. The card doesn't change possession until your case gets to go through the legal process. So that's what an injunction does. It stops irreparable harm from occurring while a lawsuit's pending. Is it, hard to get an injunction i guess what are what are the odds they do get an injunction here to stop the stadium authority from talking about and potentially approving deals with the a's it is hard i mean we just saw this happen with the nil deals and the ncaa so the challenging schools tennessee they they argued that should the nil laws or NCAA's rules on NIL deals still stay in effect, students would continue to have harm affected by it continuing. So the judge evaluates it and they have to say, okay, I see that there is a harm, I recognize it, and that this plaintiff's likely to succeed on these claims. They're not saying they will, they're saying I can see a likelihood of success down the road. So it's not easy to get an injunction. What are your overall thoughts about the NIA deals? The NIL deals? I kind of, I'm thinking of them as like streaming. You know, everyone thought Netflix was the greatest thing ever. Right. And then all of a sudden you have Netflix, HBO Max, all these other things. And everyone's now over their skis and paying for all this extra stuff that it's not that great anymore. So while allowing kids to negotiate deals sounded great, it's becoming this unmanageable, unruly th system. And also, I mean, I think there's going to be some type of pendulum, you know, pendulums always swing really far one way, really far back, and then they'll settle in the middle where they should be. And so I think it's going to be like about five to 10 years where we see it actually settle down. And I mean, there's some kids that are making out and a lot of kids aren't. And so I just hope that people aren't being exploited in the process. On and that's what I worry about the most. On the injunction with uh, the NCA and the NIL, am I understanding correctly? So before this, NIL was allowed, but schools like schools themselves couldn't say, hey, we're going to give you NIL money and it's going to be you're going to be the starting point guard. It was had to be like a third party. Is the injunction basically saying schools can give out the NIL money specifically to say, hey, come play for our school? Like, here's $50,000 because you're coming to our school. So the difference is the timing. These schools are saying, look, these prospective athletes, whether they're high school seniors or in the transfer portal, they should be able to negotiate deals with third parties or school boosters before committing so that a school can then go into the transfer portal, see some kid they like and that's marketable and go to them in that recruiting process and say, look, if you come here, these are the NIL deals that we can offer you and they can negotiate that before committing. Whereas under the current rules, these students can't negotiate NIL deals or enter them until after committing to the school. That's what this is all about, is the timing of it all. Oh, NIL deals, it's fun.
I like talking about NIL deals, even though it's a little confusing. Do you like talking about NIL deals or the Oakland A's more? Oh, well, the A's are kind of a disaster at all <laughs> turns, so they're great. So but back on the A's, something you mentioned was the injunction is basically there's got to be a likelihood that they could succeed. So yeah, that the- if if the this, this Teachers Association or the, the Education Association, if they do get granted an injunction, should we expect their lawsuit to then actually get held up and the $380 million not be allowed to go to the A's? I wouldn't go that far. I would say it's not going to get dismissed before a jury or a bench trial. Okay. All right. Can I ask you real quick about court storming and lawsuits? If Ryan Filipowski from Duke who gets hurt in a court storm and is carried off by his teammates and coaches, is there any kind of lawsuit there that he could have against someone who hurt him or the school that allowed the court storm? Is there any kind of legal action that a guy who gets hurt in a court storm who's on another team could take against a school or a kid who comes up behind him and like tries to level him? Yeah, so absolutely. You don't want to necessarily pursue the kid that caused the harm because what does that kid have? Some right. some cafeteria money to pay <laughs> any damages. So what you want to do is go to the facility, the school, whoever was controlling that floor and go, look, you allowed a dangerous situation to to occur when all of these students stormed the court. You knew it was going to happen. You had how much time on the clock to realize that the upset was going to take place and you didn't do anything to prevent it. And as a result, it got the the player got hurt. So yeah, he could potentially pursue that kind of case. Uh, We've talked before about uh, sort of like reasonable expectations. Does that play Mm -hmm. in at all for a player to be like, oh, I should expect the court to be stormed and I need to get myself out of here? Kind of. I mean, that's going to be the facilities and the other schools argument is, look, just as much notice as we had, you did too. Um, And also you're an athlete. Hustle off the court. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, (laughs) but it's unfortunate. And we saw it with Caitlin Clark a few weeks back also. And so, um, yeah, this is something I would expect arenas and facilities being under scrutiny about managing and at least delaying, at least until the players get off the court. I don't know if they have it in college basketball, but I know in the NFL uh, they track exactly how fast each player is running. I would love for there to be a court case. I mean, like, listen, Ryan Filipowski, we know you can run 22 miles an hour. We saw it in the second half, but you were moving at six miles an hour at the end of the game, so this is on you. Yeah, do a spin move. Get out of there. <laughs> Come on. Or win the game. Yeah, that too. That too. Well, she is Ash Watkins from Sam and Ash in a crash. Call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or go to SamandAshLaw.com. Ash, thank you so much. Thank you, Ash. All right. Thanks, guys. Get coffee, Danny. So I will. Yeah, he's got it. He's got it. Just not his free one yet. So there is Ash from Sam and Ash again, 702-820-1234 or SamandAshLaw.com if you need to... uh, See your coworkers for throwing away your coffee like Danny does. You got professional help, Danny, to I get did. your coffee reimbursement. Look at that. It's going to be great. All right, we got tickets to give away to go to Nitro Cross. It's the Nitro Cross Championship weekend, March 1st and 2nd at the Nitro Dome at Planet Hollywood. 702 364 1100. That is the phone number. We've got a pair of tickets for you if you are caller number nine at 702-364-1100. Two tickets to the Nitro Cross Championship Weekend at Planet Hollywood, March 1st and 2nd, 702-364-1100. Caller number nine is taking home a pair of tickets for March 1st. 
All right. I haven't actually read the full story. I'm a terrible consumer of content. I only read the headlines here. How dare you? But uh, Wendy's is apparently going to be trying out surge pricing. Uh, surge pricing is like what Uber uses. So if it's really busy in a certain area or a certain time of day or something like that, or if there's an event that's causing a lot of traffic, the prices for Uber go up, up, up. Mm -hmm. It's a dead time or you're somewhere where there's not a lot of people or not an event. Prices are usually lower. Apparently, Wendy's is going to try that. And so if it's 1230, your uh, four for four bag or whatever it is might be four for eight. And okay, if it's so 3 p.m., it might be, well, I doubt they'll actually go lower, but it might be $4. So they've just figured out when their traffic comes through. And they're going to decide to change their prices based on how busy they actually are. And here comes the death of Wendy's. So if you go in the drive through around 1230 and you see that you're going to be fourth in line, I'd back out. Maybe. Well, it's that busy. See, the thing is, this is what you do. You order it. And then when they made it, you'd be like, what are you talking about? Price is up? What? I didn't agree to that. I don't want it anymore. When you they order waste, ahead? When they waste food, they'll figure out not to do that anymore. It's so, just you, like, so your plan is to go to the Wendy's and not get food and then go somewhere else to get food? Yeah, go to Taco Bell. So you're gonna be, <laughs> so you're going to intentionally waste like yes. 15 minutes of your life. Yes. I don't think many to people prove are gonna, a point. I don't think enough people are going to do that it's for Wendy's same, to care. It's the same thing when I was at an event recently. I forget where it was, but um, they don't accept cash. But they don't tell you that <laughs> until you go to pay for cash, pay with cash. <laughs> so I ordered a couple of drinks. The total was like $30, $40, whatever it was, handing them two 20s. And they were like, oh, yeah, we don't accept cash. But they had already opened all the beers. And I was like, so what What would you do if I told you I don't have a card? You just wasted beers. Now you have to throw that out. I mean, the people working there do not care at all. The actual employee does not care that she has to throw away those open beer. They'll start caring if they also start getting charged. Ah, they're not going to charge. No, they're not gonna I, charge you just employee. quit the job. If you're working a concession stand and they're like, we're going to charge you because Danny didn't because have you didn't, Because a card, you didn't tell people that it was a card? You just quit the job. It's not like that's a high-paying, you can't get it anywhere else type of job. How many no, beers are you buying for forty bucks? Two? Well, at these at these <laughs> events, they're pretty pricey. We're talking fifteen, sixteen dollar beers. Ugh. I think the real question, and what Wendy's might be trying to figure out here, how much more can they charge you before you say I'm not actually getting this food? And that's the thing. Like if if you're going to Wendy's and you're expecting to get whatever a combo meal and it's going to be 1050 normally are you leaving without getting your food if it's 1250 no probably not no so i think no. that's what wendy's is trying to figure out here like, you're not leaving yeah. danny like i doubt two bucks i mean that's if you go all the way there and you drive up it's a 20 percent increase for it the is. same food that you could get three hours beforehand but you're hungry now yeah it's you're your lunch now danny it's your lunch time you, you know it doesn't change Taco Bell for now, for now. Yeah, if this is if this is successful, you can see other people following the rules. Because I am guessing, right? If you they've got a combo meal that's normally ten fifty, 
I'm guessing surge pricing doesn't mean twenty two fifty. Right. No, there's right. no way. Like no. that's what I'm assuming here. No. But I am guessing it's gonna be twelve fifty. Twelve fifty. Yeah, because chances are, and I don't I don't know how true this is, but a lot of companies tend to do this if they're twenty four hours or have an overnight crew, they pay those overnight people slightly more than they pay during the day. So they're probably trying to offset that by these increases. How much could Chick fil A surge their shakes and you say no way? Oh, they'd have to like triple the price <laughs> when the peppermint shake comes around. Oh man, I'm I'm paying twenty dollars a shake. <laughs> Is the peppermint shake out? No. Wait, oh, what do they have? No, they're over. Uh, they're about to do their spring one. I don't know what it is. I don't know if they do a because like there's another company I forget who it is, but they have a shamrock shake. Shamrock, that's what I'm. So thinking it's like of. peppermint. That's, that's McDonald's, right? That's McDonald's. I, I don't know. Shake. I've I've seen it. I don't know what the company is. I think though. that's McDonald's. Yeah, they're gonna surge price that shamrock shake. I don't know if Chick-fil-A does one like that. You're the milkshake expert at Chick-fil-A, so. I also haven't been in a while. Man, what are you doing? I'm trying to lose weight. Why? It would have to, what uh, what? It would have to surge a lot at Chick-fil-A for you guys to back off. Yes. Yeah, for just the regular uh, yeah, meals. Exactly. exactly. Like, yeah. I mean, it'd have to surge a lot. Yeah, like my meal, I think, is twelve fifty. Listen, I will say, there is a Cane's very close to the Chick-fil-A that I go to. If I pull up to Chick-fil-A and the price is doubled, I will, I'll go to Cane's. Okay. Cane's is delicious. Listen, I'm telling you, I I love Five Guys. I pay like 20 bucks oh, for a expensive. burger and fries. It's expensive. Ooh. Five Guys is tough. It's good. I do it's now. Tough. Still pay, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I Five haven't Guys had it in expensive. probably six months, but yeah, I still pay that price. It's like, delicious. Five, Five Guys is good, but it is. It's a once in a while thing because of those expensive. prices. Pricey. Oh, it's expensive. Yeah. Yeah, family of family of four you're probably looking at a hundred bucks unless yeah. you share oh, it's tough it's tough that's not good no it's tough that's gonna be wendy's here pretty soon though <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> surge pricing for fast food restaurants are out of control with their price raising it's unbelievable how expensive it is to go to a fast food restaurant